It's Wednesday, December 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Ugly Christmas sweaters have started to take cues from their autumn cousin, the sexy Halloween costume, in their absurdity. Santa Claus is no longer the jolly old fat man, rather he's getting naughtier, pooping down chimneys and telling you about that big package he has for you. There are now hundreds of retailers stocking up on ugly sweaters with varying degrees of raunchiness. Mara Judkis, reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for the evolution of the ugly Christmas sweater. Next, the largest private security company in the world, G4S, has a problem with guns. It can't seem to keep track of all the guns they supply to their security guards. An investigation by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel shows that more than 600 guns have been reported lost or stolen, and they sometimes end up being used in violent crimes and even murders. Gina Barton, investigative reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, joins us to talk about the hundreds of guns lost by G4S and where they were found. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. A lot of them are kind of based on, I would say, like frat boy humor. Like there's Santa and he's saying, I do it for the hose is one. <laughs> and then there's another one that's Santa pooping down a chimney. Joining us now is Maura Judkis, reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Maura. Thanks for having me. The last time that we had you on the podcast was to talk about the sexy Halloween costume industrial complex and how it's getting crazier and crazier every year. Now we're bringing you on to talk about the ugly Christmas sweater industrial complex, I guess if you want to call it, and how it's getting raunchier and raunchier every year. Maura, start us off. What's going on? The ugly holiday sweater party kind of started out as this sweet and very wholesome thing at the beginning of the 2000s. People would buy ugly sweaters, you know, the kind that like your aunt or your elementary school teacher would have worn with nutcrackers and polar bears and teddy bears and things like that on them. They'd buy them from thrift stores, but then people started to want newer and newer sweaters, ones that actually fit or weren't someone's old sweater from a used clothing store. And so companies started to meet that demand. And as they did, they started incorporating memes and humor into the sweaters. And that humor has gotten raunchier and raunchier. And it's pretty crass at this point, but also can be very funny. <laughs> it's become really a big thing. Yeah, I, I actually have a company Christmas party I have to go to and they're saying, you know, wear your ugly Christmas sweater. So I didn't have one readily available. So I was Googling around for it. And some of these more raunchier ones with Santa peeing in the snow or saying, I have a big package for you, something like that. I was like, I can't really take that to a company party. There might be some people with those, but I can't take that there. And yeah, so it's kind of hard to find something that's kind of in between, especially now that these are popping up a lot more. So give us some examples. I know I, I mentioned a couple, but give us some examples of what we're looking at now. There are so many different types of sweaters out there. A lot of them are kind of based on, I would say, like frat boy humor. Like there's Santa and he's saying, I do it for the hose is one. <laughs> there's another one that's like, it's Santa and he's ice skating and the tracks of his ice skating spell out, send nudes. And then there's another one that's Santa pooping down a chimney. Yeah. <laughs> there are antlers, you know, reindeer with antlers, but the sweater says horny. There's like some elves throwing money at a stripper who's dancing on the North Pole. They're really super crass. Definitely not like work appropriate, I would say. And there's some that get even uh, a little worse. I think Walmart had to apologize one for Santa Claus. It said, let it snow. And then he's like doing lines of cocaine. They have one that's the exact same thing, but with Rudolph. 
They have a gingerbread Mm -hmm. man that says, let's get baked, and he's holding a bong. I saw from the article, too, there's one that says it's beginning to look a lot like Epstein didn't kill himself sweaters. And that's like one of the top sellers this year. That one is really big because that's been such a big meme on Twitter and on social media. And so, you know, it has this kind of like cross stitch sort of look to it. It's actually a sweatshirt, not a sweater, but it has that kind of like classic, sweet cross stitch design, but it's actually nooses. And it's like one of their top sellers oh, this my year. God. <laughs> I, you know what? I saw the picture. I did not look that closely to it. So that's crazy. <laughs> tell, us yeah. about, tell us about the companies, though that are making these because they're making millions and millions of dollars off of these things. And they're starting, you know, they're starting, they're, they're planning these things year round. I noticed in the article, they have to send these away to China by springtime so they can get them all printed up in time. It's kind of a difficult business in terms of timing because they're already working on next year's sweaters. In terms of like memes and what's popular now, you have to have a really long view to be able to predict right now during this Christmas what will still be popular next Christmas because they have to order so many sweaters in advance, especially the ones that are knit because they take a long time to produce. Um, So, you know, there are so many companies now that are doing this. There are some that are wholesalers that sell to big department stores or Walmart or Target. And then there are some that are just e-retailers. Tipsy Elves is a really big one. They've kind of come out ahead. They were on Shark Tank. And they are really known for their pretty over-the-top sweaters. They make other stuff, too, like full suits that have, like, really whimsical prints and, like, snowman dresses for women. But the sweaters are really what they are known for. The Tipsy Elves ones, as you mentioned, they were on Shark Tank, the ABC's uh, show. They've made about $125 million in sales since they were founded in 2011. Are they making some of the more raunchier ones also, or are they kind of the more wholesome ones? (laughs) They're definitely on the raunchier side. I think they know that their audience might tend to skew a little younger, a little frattier, maybe. (laughs) They're the ones who have the send nude Santa or the I have a big package for you. So, yeah. And then there are some other companies, like some of the wholesalers. They know that they're going to be selling in more family-friendly places like Walmart or Target. So they tend to stick to things that are just kind of like quirky and whimsical, like their sloths and snowman hats or dinosaurs wearing like Christmas outfits. Those ones tend to be a little bit more PG rated. This would be an interesting story already just because companies are trending towards this, but really people are buying these in mass. You quoted somebody as saying, you know, this is kind of like the new Halloween almost. People get into the costume so much during the Halloween time, but they're getting into it just as much for Christmas time with these sweaters. And they associate, I think you even said Christmas is kind of like St. Patrick's Day. You know, people use these opportunities to party and have fun with it. It's become a real dress-up holiday in the way that Halloween is. People who do these ugly sweater parties, a lot of them make it a tradition, and they do it every year. And so then people feel like they can't wear the same sweater to the same party twice, which means that they're buying a new sweater every year, which is ultimately great for these companies. And so, you know, it's also become a real drinking holiday, too. And that's kind of why I likened it to St. Patrick's Day, because when you think of events like SantaCon, especially in New York, which is known for getting, like, completely rowdy and everyone is totally hammered and, like, vomiting on the street. You know, it's like people go all out for Christmas now and they have to be dressed the part, it seems. Mara Judkis, reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We were able to determine that they were found in all sorts of 
crazy and dangerous places. One of them, a group of teenagers used it to pistol whip a woman delivering pizza, and then they stole her car. And one of the G4S guns was used to fatally shoot two men. Joining us now is Gina Barton, investigative reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Thanks for joining us, Gina. Thanks for having me. The largest private security company in the world, G4S, they've lost hundreds of guns. They're a private security company. They have a federal firearms license. But one thing in the investigation that you found that you did in conjunction with USA Today was that they're losing track of tons of their guns. And then they're being used in violent crimes and even murders. Gina, tell us about the investigation and how that got started. We got a tip which started this investigation, and we had to do a lot of legwork to track it down because, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, firearms records and gun records in the U.S. are almost all secret. So we had to go to 450 different police departments and ask them for reports of guns reported missing by G4S. And then once we knew the serial numbers of the guns that were missing, we could go back and ask where those guns had been found. And that's how we were able to determine that they were found in all sorts of crazy and dangerous places. One of them, a man held it to a woman's head while he threatened to rape her. Another one, a group of teenagers used it to pistol whip a woman delivering pizza and then they stole her car. And probably the most heartbreaking case we found was one of the G4S guns was used to fatally shoot two men. Tell us a little bit more about G4S specifically. I mean, they employ security guards that are armed. How big is this company? Just give us a little primer on them. G4S is the largest private security company in the world. And in the U.S., they are part of the big three with Allied and Securitas. And what they do is they provide security at a lot of places that police used to provide security. So they're at courthouses and in jails and transporting prisoners, but they're also at businesses that you or I might go to every day, like grocery stores, banks, that sort of thing. So they are literally everywhere. And in the U.S., they have 5,700 armed guards, and all of these guards are given guns on loan by the company when they go to work. And then after their shifts, they bring those guns home rather than securing them in an armory or at the place that they're actually guarding. So how many guns are we speaking of? How many has the company lost? And I know that some of them, they are recovered, but how many guns on average are they losing? On average, G4S is losing 59 guns every year. So during the span of time that we studied, that was 640 guns. Oh, wow. (laughs) I mean, that is a ton. And for a security company, they're providing security for other people and they're losing guns that are falling in the hands of the wrong type of people. That's just pretty sad to hear. So you mentioned a little bit about the process that the security guards go through and how they should be storing their guns. What is the official process that G4S follows with this? Officially, they give every armed guard a cable lock. And that's one of those locks where you put the cable through the barrel of the gun and it comes out the other side so that you can't actually fire the gun. And then you're also supposed to use that cable to attach it to something. So if it's in your house, you're supposed to attach it to a shelf, a piece of heavy furniture, something like that. If you are coming to or from work in a state that doesn't allow you to actually have your gun in the holster while you're driving, you're supposed to use that cable lock to secure it to 
part of the car, either under the seat or in the trunk. What does G4S say in response to the amount of guns that have gone missing? Everybody kind of shifts the blame a little bit. They throw it on the security guards for maybe not following protocol. But, you know, it's not just the guards. There's been a bunch of executives and regional managers, things like that, that say we get calls a couple times a month about a gun that we never knew went missing. There are a couple of issues here, and my colleague Brett Murphy and I sat down for three hours with G4S executives to talk about this issue. And number one, they said the biggest problem was guards not following the policy. They told us if guards would just follow the policy, lock up their guns, not leave them unsecured in their cars, they wouldn't have this problem. So the responsibility that the executives took was they said, we are not doing as good a job as we need to communicating to our employees how important it is to secure these weapons. And then the second thing that they said is, since we did that interview with the former manager who talked about guns disappearing a couple of times a year and some other police reports we found about managers coming in, doing an audit, finding numerous guns unaccounted for, they said a couple of things. First, they said that a lot of these guns that are unaccounted for on paper their own employees and managers find them pretty quickly. Maybe somebody didn't record it quickly, but the gun was actually there in the field office. Or maybe the gun was actually with an employee and they knew where it was, but they just couldn't lay eyes on it right at that moment. So they said that. And then they also told us about several upgrades that they're working on. They did one in 2012 where they stopped using paper to keep track of their guns and started using computers. And then now they said they're working on another computer upgrade where the corporate office will actually be made aware of when people quit to make sure that they can check up and ensure that the gun's been returned. Losing one gun and not finding it, I would imagine, just raises so many alarms. You said on average they're losing maybe about 59 a year. I think the number was 64 for this year. They do have a federal firearms license. Tell us a little bit about that because they've had this license for 40 years and it gives them a lot of benefits, but you would think something like that would get revoked once something gets lost and then connected to a crime. And this has happened more than once. So how does the government respond to this also? So the G4S executive said even one missing gun is too many. So they fully acknowledge that, you know, if they even lose one gun, that's bad and that they were really upset that, you know, one of their guns had been used in this double homicide. So I feel like I need to say that. ATF is another story. We got all of these records from ATF going all the way back 40 years to when they were given the firearms license. And they've had this argument the whole time about should they have one? Because this is a license that is usually used for gun dealers, gun stores. And now it's sometimes being given to security companies. So that's one issue. The second issue is that in many of the reports that we read, the ATF inspectors were saying this is a problem. All these guns being missing is a problem. But they can only revoke a license for a violation of a particular rule. And they can only revoke the license if they go to the company and they say, hey, you have a problem. And the company is willfully not trying to fix the problem. So the fact that the company has continued to try to fix the problem 
seems to be enough to allow it to keep the license. Interesting. And the license saves the company time by allowing them to buy guns in bulk so that they can give out to the security guards. They're also allowed to ship these guns across state lines. So, you know, they're obviously a big company, uh, operate throughout the country. They can use the federal firearms license to operate in that way, right? It saves them a ton of time and red tape. Most of the time, if a gun store wants to send a gun to another state, they have to send it to another gun store, and there are all these kind of hoops and paperwork you have to jump through. G4S doesn't have to do that. They can get the gun directly from the manufacturer, which is usually Smith & Wesson, and then it comes to their corporate office in Florida, and they can send it directly to their field offices. And then that also allows them to avoid things like waiting periods. They can give that gun to an employee immediately if they choose to, because they're lending it to them. They're not selling it. They're not changing the ownership of it. Can you share a story of one of the guns that you guys were able to track? I mean, I know you guys were able to get tabs on a lot of them. There was a lot of different things. I think there was a kid who took his father's gun and it ended up in his school locker was one of the examples. There was one example where one of the guns was used in a murder and nobody made the connection until a reporter noticed that the serial numbers weren't matching. And then that's how they were able to connect it. Share one of these stories with us, please. And to me, that was the most outrageous example that we found was this double homicide that happened in 2009. So the guard put the gun in a bag, put the bag in a closet when he went on vacation over the holidays in 2009, so 10 years ago. And while he was gone, somebody cut a screen door and came in and stole the gun. And within a few days, that gun was in the possession of these three guys who burst through a fence and into the backyard of a home, killed one guy with a knife in the backyard, and then went into a shed out in the back that was kind of like a man cave where a couple of other guys in their 20s were playing video games and fatally shot both of them. So the police reports are very interesting because they sort of put together that one of the suspects knew the daughter of the guard whose gun was stolen, but then somebody wrote down the serial number wrong, so they never did put it together that it was a G4S gun that was used in this homicide. And as you can imagine, the company was surprised and unhappy about this. The mother of one of the men who was murdered, Tony Black, his mother was really upset that neither the company nor the guard who didn't secure the gun was held accountable for her son's murder. I think even the guard was pretty shocked. You mentioned in the report that he took a deep breath and was like, seriously, are you serious? And and I think he said it in Spanish, you know, like he couldn't believe it himself. So, I mean, it's just really sad to hear that, you know, these, uh, you know, kind of really not taking care of these guns leads to something like this. Uh, This is part of a larger investigation that you guys are also doing. You guys are doing multiple reports on this. So we had a story come out earlier this year that talked about some of the hiring standards at G4S. And we had found that they hired guards, not only with very little or no work experience, but they hired guards who had had problems in the military, who had had mental health issues. Um, We found one man who was hired as a guard, even while he had an open warrant for his arrest. So that was one part of our investigation. And then another story that we'll have coming out before the end of the year has to do with some of their contracts abroad. Gina Barton, investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.